You can have a seat. Um, I'd like to welcome you here. Hopefully, you've been welcomed as you came in. So glad that you're here. If you've never done a Connect form on our website, relentlesschurch.cc, please, please do that. It's really important to get you the communication that you need. I'm going to communicate some important stuff right now. Um, fellas, men, men's retreat, one month away now, October 6th and 7th, and we now have 20 spots left on our men's retreat. There's a slide, I promise. Um, so 20 spots left. I hope you're going to grab one of those, men. We have to make a deadline because we got to make food prep because we're going to eat. So uh, two weeks from today, September 17th, will be the deadline if you want one of those spots. It's 16 and up. There'll be several Joneses going. We're pretty pumped about it. Speaking of September 17th, that is our ninth birthday Sunday. Are you believe it? Nine years old? Nine years old. So we're going to celebrate it. We're going to have uh, some Italian ice like we did last year in the parking lot after each service. We're going to we'll live it up. We also are celebrating not just nine years. We're also celebrating uh, a very big occasion in our church, which is for the first time we're going to install elders at our church. All right? So that's a big deal. We'll talk, we'll talk more about that. Um, and that's why you got to do the connect form so you're on our email list so you'll be aware we're going to be sending some information out about that so everybody knows kind of what's going on. Um, with pictures, because I'm going to say their names, but you may not know their names by their name. You'd know their faces if you've been around here. But myself and Raf Gonzalez, uh, Chauncey Hatcher, O'Neill Branch, David Hardy, that's going to be uh, who we install on that special day. You can clap unless you don't like those guys. Then you don't have to clap. Just kidding. So that's a, that's a huge, not just for, because of who they are, but it's a huge turning point in our church. We'll get to, uh, to that. Today, we start a series called This Is Us. And part of what we, we, so many of you are new to us, some of you have been around, and maybe it's a reminder of like who we are trying to be as a church. So in this series, you're going to hear not just from me, but from each of our um, full-time staff. And uh, I'm going to introduce Joy in a second, but I need to let you know of a change we've made. Uh, we didn't change Joy's name. We don't have the ability to do that. Uh, we did change her title, right? So she has always been known as the women's pastor, and she is now our associate pastor. And here is the reason. We were confusing some people because when you hear women's pastor, some people assumed, well, she only ministers to women, right? And if you know our church and what Joy does, that is not uh, the case, and it's not going to be true this morning. So women's ministry still exists, and that is part of what Joy oversees, um, but she is now our associate pastor, same title as Raph. Both of them do and carry so much for the church and for me, and we're very blessed. And I don't know what context you grew up in church tradition-wise, uh, some of us may have grown up in a context where it was harder or uncomfortable or awkward or different for us to hear God speak to us from different people based on style, age, race, gender, right? We believe as a church that God wants to speak to you, not just through the message, through worship, that the God who loves you knows your name, knowing what you're dealing with, and he wants to touch your heart today, and he's going to do that um, through joy, and we're very blessed. Would you welcome our associate pastor, Joy Bay? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you for that shout out. <laughs> I am going to actually pray. Open this up here. Um, Father in heaven, we come before you. Um, we come before you uh, with humble hearts, um, seeking you, Lord God, and asking, Lord Jesus, that you would be, will reveal to us the word that you would have us hear today, Lord God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, um, and feel privileged to be able to 
serve you in this manner, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that in none of this, that is about me, Lord God, but that you will be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, church. Good morning. Good morning. I am so excited to be here um, with you guys. If you are new with us or haven't been with us for a while, um, actually, David just went through um, a series or he just finished a series. It was called Bottom Line. And in that, he talked about money. And so if you haven't checked it out, we all got money in one form or another, right? Uh, maybe not. And I'm just, I ain't gonna look at nobody. I'm just keeping forward. Um, but uh, when it does come to you, we all need to decide how does money affect our lives? And for me, one of the questions that stood out and really was impressed upon my heart was the question, does my money serve God or is money my God? I don't know about y'all, but I was like, whoo, them toes, them toes. I was, you know, feeling a little. So check that out. It was a great service. I today am so excited that I get to kick off our annual series called This Is Us. And this is actually the first year that I get to preaching this series, and it's at, and also the first year, or first year, the first time that I get to kick off the series. So, I mean, man, this is the morning, y'all. It's all, it's all the first, all the celebrations. <laughs> um, what I'm excited to share in, well, in This Is Us, if you haven't been with us, over the weeks, we're going to go through um, various uh, teachings about who we are and what we believe as a church and, you know, where we're going, where we are now and where we're going. And so today, I'm excited because I get to talk about one of the things I'm most um, passionate about in this church. Um, I've been really blessed to be a part of a lot of different churches. Um, I've been a part of a, um, a bilingual church, a all-Filipino church, an all-black church, a mixed church, all kinds of churches. I've had a lot of church experience, and I love, love Relentless. So I'm excited to tell you about who we are and what we believe. Um, so our, let's just get into it. So our first is, what does Relentless believe about church? I mean, some of you have been around, and you may be thinking, like, I already know, <laughs> so I, but if you haven't, or if you have, I just want to streamline it for us and have us know what we believe so we can know what we're all coming under and what we're all um, desiring to reach for. So the first belief is we relentless believe in the biblical definition of church. So the word church is, is translated from a Greek word called ecclesiastic says this is defined as really the assembly. It's talking about the called out ones. And the root meaning of church does not point to an actual building, but it points to those who are assembled together. So we are, as a church, assembled together this morning. Our second um, belief. We as relentless believe that, the that Jesus is the head of the church. In Ephesians 1, um, 20 to 22, says that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, as he seated him on his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion, and above every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So not only now, but in eternity. And he puts all things, what, how many things? All things. He puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This, these verses are actually part of um, a longer sentence in which Paul wrote a letter in which he was praising the church of Ephesus to say, thank you. Thank you for remembering Jesus' teachings and remaining faithful. And one of the major things that they remembered in these times, and again, if you don't know, um, in the early church, they experienced a lot of, um, the word just left me. Oh, goodness. Somebody just said it. Thank you. I can't believe that we're just so, but yes, they experienced a lot of persecution. And so one of the major teachings in that was to say, hey, Jesus is the head. No matter what you're experiencing right now, he is in control. He is in control. The third belief, we as relentless believe that the historical and the cultural church, meaning the assembly, was vital for the early believers. In Hebrews 10, 19-25, says, Therefore, brothers, since we, have, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. 21, it says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with, the, with a true heart in fullness and of assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed pure. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. He who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another, one another, to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as it is habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as, we, as you see the day drawing near. So some truths about this, these scriptures. One, um, it was written, or the author of it is unknown for Hebrews, but he was speaking directly to the Jewish people. And as significant, the significance about this was that, again, in the early church, they were experiencing great persecution, extreme persecution in some cases. And for some, in response to that, they were like, oh, I don't know. We know what the truth is. We know what God says, but it is, I'm afraid and um, it's intense. And so therefore, you know what, I'm going to just, I'm going to go back. Have you ever had that experience where you're like, man, this is, this is real intense, Lord. You, you called me to do this new thing, but I, I don't know if I got what I need to, to be able to continue on. Maybe I should just go back to what you said last time. No one? Just me? Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, and so they were abandoning faith. 
They were abandoning a new way of life. And to give you a little bit deeper meaning, when it talks about the blood and the tearing of the curtain, back um, during that time, culturally, no one could enter what they called the holies of holies. If you think about what we just did right here, we just worshiped God, we prayed, we entered into a holy place. And during that time, there were only priests that could do that. And so now the writer of Hebrews was saying, hey, remember that old life when you couldn't even, you could only go to part of the church? We can go into all of the church. There is nothing that's closed off from us. So that's what he was saying. And, you know, I think about myself because a lot of times when I read scripture, I try and put myself into um, those shoes of the people during that time. And for me, I've only experienced a a small part of what they actually probably experienced in that time. I took a trip to China. I went there as a missionary. And one of our first acts in going to China was to smuggle Bibles into China. I don't know if you know about China, okay? But if you get caught being a Christian, if you get caught, especially with Bibles, there is no, like, go to to judge and you get a sentence. No, it's just straight to jail. You know how, like, um, uh, Monopoly is like, you know, don't pass, go, just keep, (laughs) it's straight to jail, straight to jail. And not a jail that you want to be a part of, okay? You know what I mean? Not a community, you just, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, you, you think the persecution on the outside is extreme, what they do to you in jail is beyond. And so I remember I was 20-something, and they're like, they're so excited. I don't know if you ever prepare for a mission church. They, they pump you up. Like, we're going to do this for Jesus. It's going to be good. And, you know, it's going to be so exciting. You're like, oh, okay. You know, and you don't, at 20-something too, you're not even thinking about, like, how, like, oh, this, is, this could be death or life, <laughs> you know, right now. And so they said, okay, how we're going to do it is you're going to pack the Bibles in your suitcase. And they specifically said, don't hide the Bibles. They said, you can pack it in a way to where it's not like on on top, like look at my Bible, but don't necessarily, you know, take extreme measures to hide it away. And then they said, "Um, so when we go through customs, you're actually going to go through by yourself. I I did not sign up for that. (laughs) I I didn't know that that was going to be a part. And so they said, you know, go through customs, Um, When you get on the other side, we'll meet together. And I remember thinking to myself, like, because we had a lot of suitcases and big suitcases. So I'm walking, and I'm like, okay, don't look like you're doing something you ain't supposed to do. (laughs) Don't look scared. You know, just just keep calm. This is for Jesus. It's okay. And I remember walking and, you know, handing my passport. You, You know, we've all been through customs and everything. And thinking to myself, I got to the other side, and I was like, oh, I did it. You know how, like, your little kids be like, I did it. I got through it. And I thought to myself, like, that's just a little measure, a little measure. It wasn't even full persecution. The only one, I was internally persecuting myself because I thought, oh, if I get caught. And then another time, I was in China, and we went to a house church, and it was up a, a number of stairs. It, I mean, it was a lot of stairs. We took the elevator up, and we were so excited to be there and experience what a house church was going to look like. And by halfway through us meeting, the owner or the uh, ministry leader gets a call and says, 
he gets off the phone and he says, all right, we got to go. Let's go now. Let's pack up everything. Let's rush. And I'm thinking like, well, what's happening? Like, why, why are we going? He's like, um, the police got called on us, so we got to get out of this apartment. And I just think he was like, uh, we can't wait for the elevators. I'm like, I know, I feel like 19 is in my spirit and in my soul. That's how many stairs we had to like five times. It doesn't matter the stairs. All I remember thinking is running down, thinking like, oh my gosh, we're going to get caught by the police. And again, that's just a measure of persecution that I experienced. I can't imagine what it was like for the early church believers back then when it wasn't only a disliking of being a Christian, but it literally was literal life and death. I don't know about you, but I am grateful. I'm grateful to experience um, the local church and that we get to come here openly and worship God freely and know that no matter the circumstances, this universal truth is real. As the writers wrote, in Hebrews, it said, he said that you have to remember that church is not about the individual. It's not just about you. I'm going to look at myself. I'm going to look up here. It's not just about you. That when we, something happens when we gather together, there is a mutual benefit. When we all come together, we are able to encourage one another, love one another, and support one another. So that points to our last what we believe. We relentless believe in 2023 that church, the assembly, remains vital to a believer's faith. It remains vital to a believer's faith. Why, and you know, I don't know about you, but I've been able to have the privilege of having some conversations about why is church relevant? I mean, you say that, but what does that mean? And again, I kind of go back to what Hubro said, where he said, the assembly of believers go ways, goes beyond the gathering together because there is something that functionally happens within the assembly that is vital to non-believers and believers for the potential of our spiritual growth. And you may be thinking like, well, what are those two or what are those functional functions? And I'm just going to go through two major functions of the local church, okay? How we should be functioning, accord, functioning, functioning according to Scripture. So, two, family and hospital. Keep those in your brain. What? Family and hospital. Family. As a family, there are so many Scriptures that point to adoption language. So when you, just pointing to when you surrender your life to Christ, we are adopted into his family through the power and the gift of what Jesus did on the cross. In John 1, 12 through 13, it says, but to who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, but of God. So we would not be who we are if we did not recognize there possibly could be some barriers 
to thinking of church as a family, right? So let's talk about those barriers for a minute. I'm just going to go through two. So one of the major barriers that can be is if you grew up in a dysfunctional family. Again, we just can go eyes forward. We ain't got to look right and left. You ain't got to raise your hand. But if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, for, exist, for example, if you had a father figure who you were estranged from or you did not have a father figure at all, the adoption language of God being your father could be difficult, right? Another way in which um, you could struggle with the adoption language is if you are estranged from family members. It could be hard to understand the value of building relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ if you are not in relationship with your own family members. You know, for me, I struggled with the adoption language, and um, I accepted it in some ways. In some ways, I grew up in a small family, and um, I remember thinking, I want to be a part of a big family. I mean, I even told my mom, I was like, Mom, okay, I got a plan of how we can. Now, she was a single mom, so keep that in mind. I was like, I got a plan of how we can be a bigger family. If you get a a kid my age and then one younger and then this, and, you know, she's looking at me like, I got y'all three. That's what I can handle right now, right? But it's something about in my heart, I just really wanted to be a part of a larger family. I desired it so much. So when I became a Christian and I learned, oh, man, you gain brothers and sisters, I was so excited. I was so overjoyed thinking of how much, like, God cares so much for us that he doesn't just leave us alone in where we are, that he blesses us way beyond what we can imagine or think. And so now I have more family in the church than I do blood family. Amen, right? But let me tell you where I struggle. And I have to take a breath because, you know, sometimes I can get emotional up here. Um, But I struggle with the adoption language when it came to fathering. I was one of those. I was more than estranged from my father. He was very untrustworthy, more often absent. So when I became a Christian and I was reading scriptures that said, God is like your father, God wants to be your father, it was hard for me not to ascribe or to believe about God what my earthly father was showing. That was my barrier. But God, right? But God. Because I was desperately needing desperately needing and desperately seeking to have and be my father's daughter. I wanted that so much. And so in those early years, as I struggled with that truth, as I struggled with the pain of where my actual earthly father's relationship was, God continued to speak to me. He continued to chase after me in this and say, you can trust me. You can lean on me. And one of the verses that really um, was impressed upon me, and I kind of, I mean, sometimes it was like a mantra, y'all, in my prayers. 
um, that I, I leaned on was, or was and is, uh, Psalm 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Meaning that's who he is. He is the father to the fatherless. Now, if you do have a good relationship with your father, that is such a blessing. But still sometimes in our, I, I want to say this, I didn't say this first service, but still sometimes in our parental relationship, there's no perfect parent, right? Oh, somebody does? A perfect parent? Okay. <laughs> I saw that hand. <laughs> but it doesn't matter how good your parents are. They are not God right? And so you have to challenge what you believe about your parents and how you view God as your parent. Just a little, little tidbit there for you. I am so grateful, so grateful for the work and the transformation that God has done on my heart. And I can stand before you say, I, saying that I love him as God, our father. It, it's been such a blessing. And so I fully now embrace the family, the family function of church. What's our second um, function? Hospital. hospital, that's right. So as a hospital, while there are no direct verses that points to that function of a hospital, there are many verses that points to God as a healer, right? And this is why probably the analogy has taken a root, so much so that sometimes people think, have you ever heard of um, God is the great physician? Okay. I was like, oh, it must be a, a verse that says that. There is no verse that says that God is a great physician. And that's how sometimes, okay, just a little side note on, we have to look at our actual word, you know, at the scriptures. Um, but anyway, just to say that God is a great healer. He does heal. And so, again, with the function as hospital within, within the body, within the assembly, we have the um, ability to, uh, we have the ability to make it safe for healing to happen. So there's two types of healings, okay, that are um, most often we think about when we think about hospital. One, the physical healing. The church can be a safe place where healing happens. James 5, 14 through 16 talks about this. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. You're about to get some elders, y'all. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. How many know it's not just the elders that can pray? Any one of us can pray over the sick anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to, to one another, to one another. Pray for one another. And the prayer of the righteous person has a great power as it is working. 
It is working. The Holy Spirit is working in and through us to be a part of this year. Second healing, spiritual healing. The church can function as a hospital by helping to facilitate the presentation of the gospel. It can offer a safe place where people can um, bring their sins, their brokenness, and receive reconciliation. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. It says, all this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So again, it's not just he who reconciles, but we can be a part of that reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, to be honest, up until recently, if you would have asked me about what was the primary function of church, I would have said the hospital. And in that, th not even thinking about how the, the church also works as a family. And then the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, God began to show me how if you just think about the church as a hospital, there can be some pitfalls. So I'm just going to really go through um, a couple of major pitfalls today because I think it's important to just kind of briefly acknowledge it. So what is a pitfall that believers and non-believers can experience? One is the mentality, the patient versus hospital staff mentality. When we view the church simply as a hospital, this can possibly lead us to viewing the church through a lens of what can it do for me, not necessarily what can I do for it. It then can also, we can also fall into the trap of devaluing our contribution to the body. And even if it may mean us giving, we, maybe you, you're here today, you're going through a season, you like, I got 5 or 10%. That's real, and that's valid. In that 5%, can you give a smile? Can you give a hug? Can you give a, you know what I mean? You just may be at that, that's all you got. But it's still a giving. It's still you contributing, right? Because sometimes, again, there may be seasons where we all patient. Ain't trying to be on nobody's staff. Don't look at me. Don't ask me. You know what I mean? And then there's seasons where you actually experience the healing, but you still act as a patient. I believe God is calling us up. Wherever you are, this is not a condemning message. Wherever you are, what I'm believing it, God is saying is, let's take a step. Maybe you're less patient today than you were yesterday. Maybe you own a staff, but you was like, I just got facility. I mean, you know, don't ask me to teach no class or nothing like that. You know what I mean? Wherever you are, he's calling you to take a step. As a side note, you know, relentless strives to practically embrace these two major functions as a family 
and as a hospital. Relentless as a hospital. One of our core beliefs to that point is that we intentionally make this a safe place for the untold and unconvinced. As we previously shared, that true healing only comes by the Father. But he has made it possible for us to be a part of the reconciliation work. The other, I'm sorry, I meant to say, who are we? This is who we are. We are a hospital. And the second would be we are a family. We are an intentionally multi-ethnic family. Let's talk about it, family. Okay, y'all ready? All right. Here are our goals as an intentionally multi-ethnic family. We love each other. What does it look like to love each other? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 7 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. I added the love and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's a lot of love, y'all, right? That's a lot. It's a mouthful, right? But the interesting part of this is a lot of times, as I was doing my research, a lot of times, this scripture is used in regards to marriage, right? It said a lot of times at, at the wedding, that's what they, you know, profess to one another. But script history and culturally, this was actually within the letter to Corinthians about the church. Did y'all know that? I didn't know that. It was about the church. Uh, Paul had received a letter from the Corinthians telling them, somebody, somebody told on the Corinthian church. That's really what happened. Somebody told on the Corinthian church. And Paul said, I got to write you a letter from prison to tell you how to act. I mean, that's how I read the Bible, you know. Um, but anyway, he was writing back to them saying, wait a minute, I heard how you're treating each other. I heard how you're treating each other. Let's change that. Let's change it. So our next way in which we are a family and reach, want to reach the goal of being a family, we protect each other. You may be like, oh, what does it look like to protect each other? Well, let's go to the word. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, but brothers, if, you, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason 
to boast within it of himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So what does it mean, protection, in reading the scripture? It means that we are accountable to each other. We are accountable to each other. It can be very easy to walk in here, nobody know you, you ain't trying to get to know, so whatever you walked in with, you can walk out with, I'm going to look for it. But God says we should be accountable to each other. Not everybody, but there's somebody within this family body that you should be building a relationship where you can feel that you can be accountable to. The other is we bear one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. So our third in ways we wish we wish to love each other. We respect each other. We start by believing the best about each other, giving the benefit of doubt whenever possible. We are willing to have the hard conversations and handle conflict resolution in a godly way. The hard conversations. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. So in Matthew 18, 15 through 16, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. That should be the first step. If he listens, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by, ev by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, there's some other parts to that, but basically it's saying that we are willing to enter into what may be uncomfortable, right? What may be hard, especially within a multi-ethnic church. Because within a multi-ethnic church, just within a church period, intentions can always get lost, right? You can sometimes intentionally want to do good and then harm happens right? But even within the multi-ethnic church where there's socioeconomic backgrounds and generational and just a lot of different things, sometimes we can offend not knowing that we have offended, right? And so to have a way in trusting in God that as you approach that other person as a brother and sister, now it's a difference, okay? Let's, let's set the tone. It's a difference of approaching somebody as brother and sister and in a loving way versus not. We can have a whole list of the not. We ain't got time for that. But if when we approach in a loving, humble way, saying, man, you know, I don't think that that was your intention. I don't think that you meant to hurt me or harm me. But this is kind of how I felt. And give, offering that, uh, that other person, your brother and sister, a chance to say, like, yeah, I didn't. Or maybe I did and I apologize think both those things can happen. So our last way in which we desire and have a goal to love one another as family, we serve each other. In Galatians 6, 6 through 10, it says, let one, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary. Y'all, it can be hard. It can be really hard, but the word is saying, let us not go grow weary in doing good. In due season, you will reap. Now, in due season, sometimes that means you will reap here on this earth, and sometimes it's talking about, as it said, the eternal life. In God's accounting, nothing goes unaccounted. Does that make sense? He sees it all. He sees the things that you do in the quiet. He sees the things that you do in the private. He sees the things that you do up front. He knows who you are. Says, not 10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. This is the household of faith. So in this, Paul was teaching us that it's not only the people up here who teach us, but you as a family, as a member of this family, have the, have the ability to teach others too. We also have the ability to sow good deeds, not only for this life, having to affect this life, but the life after. And I love how he ended it. He's like, okay, if you don't hear nothing else, you know, sometimes they say that. If you don't hear nothing else I say, we say that to our kids. The end point, he says, serve everyone. Who? Everyone. Especially those in the household of faith. All right. That's who we are. So let's be honest. In regards to who we are, I'm not standing up here saying we have arrived. We got it. We are rocking this thing. But more so what I am saying is this is who we are continually striving to be as a relentless, multi-ethnic church family. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, like, that's a lot. I don't even know if I can do one or two or any of those things. How can I do those things? The how is we have to abide. We have to abide. What does that mean? Like the only way in faith we can function as hospital and family in this multi-ethnic community is by abiding in God's word and in his presence. That's the only way. Only through him can we do this. And then John 15 is one of my favorite um, passages um, 1 through 11, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. We cannot bear fruit by ourselves. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is saying, abide in me. Number five says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bear fruit, uh, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, the ending. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. It will, hear me when I say, it will often not be easy or simple to live a multi-ethnic church family hospital life. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we strive to accomplish this goal, providing a safe place for transformation and the giving and the receiving of love, protection, respect, and service as a church family. You know, this is so near and dear to my heart because as I have probably mentioned and I will continue to mention and really sing it out loud, I don't, where, I don't know where I would be without the family of God. I, I, I don't. My biggest, my biggest growth point, even in the hard, even in the hard conversations, have been with the believers. And while, yes, we are all a part of Big C Family Church, it ain't nobody that's going to know you like your family, right? Nobody. Because, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced a family reunion, and you go, and you're like, you're family, but you're like, I ain't never, I've never seen you, or it's been years since I've seen you, and you don't know me, and I don't really know you, but how oh, real family. Let me tell you something. The deeper in relationship that you get with anyone provides the most opportunity for you to be hurt and offended. Let me say it again. The deeper in relationship that you get into with anyone provides the most opportunity for you to be hurt and offended. So if we are not abiding, if we are not soaked in the, in the scriptures and in the truth, and if we are not putting before us the best of, I'm believing the best about you, I'm, I'm, I am giving you the benefit of the doubt, if we are not allowing that to happen, then it's harder to walk in that family life. It really has been my privilege to kick off this series of This Is Us, to share with you uh, what Relentless believes based upon the scriptures and what we strive to be as a local church. Maybe you're sitting here, maybe you are a believer, maybe you're not a believer. But it's truly my heart that wherever you are, my hope and my heart is that I've shared something that would challenge you and or encourage you in your views about how the local church should function. I also hope it allows you, it has allowed you to get to know us better. 
I've always loved attending and being a part of local church. I've been blessed to serve and attend many churches around the world. I'm so grateful, beyond grateful, that God has led me to Relentless Church. Let's pray, y'all. Father, I thank you and I praise you. I praise you for your goodness. I praise you that you don't leave us where we are. I thank you, Lord God, that you give us the ability to grow, Lord God, and that as long as we have breath, we are able to change and shift and transform in you, Lord. I pray for each and every heart sitting in these seats. I pray that something that was said today, Lord God, would speak to their hearts, not of my own emotions, not of my own words, Lord God, but that your truth will speak directly to their spirit. And for those who don't know you, Lord God, my biggest prayer is that they would have had a, another glimpse of who you are and what you desire to do in and through their lives. I pray, Lord God, as they go out, especially this holiday weekend, Lord God, that you protect our church family, Lord Jesus, and that they go and return, Lord Jesus, to us, Lord. I thank you for the work that you're doing through the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, continue to have your way. In the name of Jesus, amen. Love you, church.